You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. What's up, guys? Welcome into Good Morning Lambo. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. You can email us, Packers Total Access at gmail.com. You can text us 865-658-5824. I'm joined alongside the illustrious Tim in live in Green Bay. Tim, you That's survived. You illustrious, survived. huh? Yeah. No, no, I see it, man. Your peak performance today, my man. Oh, man. <laughs> How you feeling, buddy? I'm good. You know, I, if I, I'm not close to 100%, I don't want to go, right? You know, got to <laughs> – sometimes you got to play a little banged up, though. I'm I'm as close to 100% as I can be, so happy to be back, man. Here's what I'm wondering is if, if someone complains that Tim isn't at 100% on Twitter, are you going to put out a tweet saying you're tired of playing hurt? That's what I need to do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I suppose I should put out a tweet at all. I haven't tweeted in like five days. (laughs) (laughs) Nick McSwain taking a little friendly dig here too. Drew D said, hey, Tim. (laughs) Nick McSwain said, you look terrible, Tim. Uh, LOL. Just kidding. Glad you're feeling better. Thanks, Nick. I still feel terrible. (laughs) This is going to be the Tim Tim reunion show here. We're going to break out a bottle of bubbly and all that. So um, now I'm excited to have you back, buddy. It's good to see you. Got the diesel cranking this morning, I see. Dude, it's Packers-Bears. Tim said, ain't no way I'm missing Packers-Bears week, baby. Ain't so, no way. He's back at it. Um, let's do this real quick. I think this is great. Doug in the chat said, what's Tim's X handle? What's your handle on Twitter there, Tim? Uh, Packers, M-K-E, to okay. G-R-B, like Milwaukee to Green Bay. Is it is, is it possible for you to type it in the chat, Tim? If it ain't, I can put it in there. Yeah, I think I can do that. Let's see. Cool. Put it in the chat for them. That way they know exactly what the handle is, if you don't mind. That way they can find you on Twitter. And for those of you watching, we appreciate you making us a part of your morning. If you would, hit that like button so other Packer fans can find this channel, find this content. We appreciate you uh, hanging out, man. Um, like I said, it's Packers Bears week. And uh, let's start with the injury update real quick. I know we hit on it last night. Some people may have missed the show. So let's just go ahead and, and knock that out right now. Basically, Christian Watson is practicing for the first time since his latest hamstring injury per Rob Domofsky. 
Uh, Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks are also back. So it looks like the wide receiver room is going to be at full strength. A good chance anyway. I'm kind of looking at that too, like whichever one is more healthy, whether it's Christian Watson or Dontavian Wicks, I think Jaden Reed will go. He's just an absolute dog. That dude's not going to keep himself off the field. But between those two, the way I see that, whichever one is a little more, quote unquote, more healthy, right? A little healthier, I should say, then maybe sit the other one down because you're going to have a loaded wide receiver room. I want them all on the field. You know what I mean? I want to see Christian Watson, uh, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Jaden Reed, and then Dontavian Witch rotating in, right? But if one of them is still a little banged up, and for me, I'm kind of leaning toward Christian seeing that it's the hammy. That hammy can be real tricky, especially in cold weather. It's like, Maybe you have them active, you know, Tim, have them all active. And then if somehow, some way you do jump up on top like you did Minnesota, no way, shape or form am I sitting here saying that's going to happen. This is not a prediction. This is not trying to say the Packers are going to boat race them. I'm just saying if you find yourself in that situation, then you can cut back the touches like we did with Jaden Reed, which is still absolutely phenomenal that Jaden Reed had the game he had in Minneapolis and he didn't even play a full game. That's just wild to me. But uh, I know you said you were – Surviving the elements watching the game, Tim. I didn't get your takeaway on the Minnesota game. What did you think about that big win there on New Year's Eve, man? Oh, phenomenal. Um, the, the fourth quarter is pretty much a blur. My wife had to explain to me that Sean Clifford actually played in that game. I don't remember seeing that. 102-degree um, uh, temperature will have you a little delirious. <laughs> so I don't remember much. Um, but – what I did see was impressive, especially that first uh, tutter to Jaden Reed, man. Yeah. Um, that was just a thing of beauty. After seeing Jordan underthrow so many of those in those situations, to see him just put one right on the money like that, an absolute dart, yeah. really good. And then, of course, I, I've been saying this guy's name since, you know, August, man. Bo freaking Melton. My yeah. dude had himself a game. And uh, – I want to see more of it. Um, we, You're right. We have depth, man. It's not just wide receivers. We got pass catchers and playmakers galore on this offense. Yeah, and, really um, yeah so I was impressed. Um, you know, but it's Bears week, right? We got a, got a little bit uh, different of a defense that we're going to be looking at here. And, um, you know, a, a really bad football team that's really motivated to ruin our year. So we got to be on our, on our A game here this Sunday. No doubt about it, man. All bets are off. That's for sure. Um, let's do this. Since we kind of hit on it and talking about the the young pass catchers, let's run through just a slew of stats here real quick. Everybody's showing the Packers love now. It's amazing. The national media is all over it now. Boy, the Packers are just something else on offense. Uh, let's start off with a quick Jaden Reed video that Packers.com put up. Again, go make sure you guys go to their Twitter page. Show them some love. Hit retweet on it. Hit like. Uh, you know, go hit like on their YouTube channel as well. This was put together by the Green Bay Packers. Really, really cool stuff here just on Jaden Reed. The dynamic rookie out of Michigan State, Jaden Reed. The game's not too big for him. When he came in with the right mindset, he's a guy that likes to be challenged. He's a baller. He, he goes out there in the game, and he's a playmaker. Lost the right side. Reed. Yes, he's got it. Gives to Reed around the right end. He's got running Whoa. room to the house for the touchdown. Jaden Reed, a weapon and a half or what? Right corner of the end zone. Toe tap touchdown. He looks like the most pro-ready draft choice they have, and he certainly lived up to that oh, moment. Man. The numbers are more reflective of 
him making the most out of his opportunities. You know, he's got a very bright future. Down the middle, got his man, touchdown! Jaden Reed, who just broke the rookie receiving record. He is dominant here tonight. You love to see it. You love to see it. Jaden Reed going to be just a, an absolute superstar. He's been nominated several times this year for uh, Offensive uh, Rookie of the Week. Um, really cool honors there. But as far as this past game there in Minnesota, Tim, we had three Packers that graded out 90-plus or above, according to PFF. That was Jaden Reed leading the way at 92.7. His QB won Jordan Love at 90.8. And Preston Smith just came to play at a 90 Point three, just I mean, those guys absolutely balled out. I do want to jump back real quick to the injury report because, like we pointed out, Preston Smith did not participate. That could be big, right? LVN still isn't quite there yet. Preston Smith's been playing down the stretch, man. He's uh he's looking good. But again, three players grading out ninety or above. Anything you want to add to that, Tim? Um, Jordan Love continues to impress. Um, you know, I'm not surprised seeing him grading out. Uh, 90 or above in this game and I hope we get another one this Sunday out of him and yeah you know Preston Smith um, steady Eddie as we call him right and uh, you know he will be missed if he's not in fact going to play but I guess we'll see you know there's still time Um, we'll see how the rest of the week goes same thing we could say about uh, you know our middle linebacker situation you know it looks like we're Devondre Campbell's working his way back right now of course, just in time because it looks like Zay McDuffie's probably going to be out. So, you know, one step forward, one step back. That's how how it can be sometimes in this league. So, uh, but yeah, no, the the PFF grades um, I think are pretty accurate for for this game. And uh, you know, I'm just uh, just tickled pink that the defense held, uh, only gave up ten points. You know, so yeah, for really sure. Happy. Mark in the chat says, ain't no way I'm missing a good morning land, but we appreciate you, Mark. Thank you for swinging through. Dust or Doug in the chat says, Mike Wall says, Preston Smith is the defensive MVP. I'll tell you this, man. I don't know if, if I would agree he's the defensive MVP, if you're talking about the season, but you're not going to find a more consistent player on that defense. He's just been, like, like Tim said, steady Eddie, man. That dude is just, he's always where he's supposed to be. Occasionally he might lose the edge. It's not because he's getting beat. It's because he's getting a little too aggressive. But, and, you know, in a pinch, sounds silly, putting that big frame in a fire zone blitz and dropping him back into coverage occasionally. People laugh when they see it. It's, imagine being a quarterback, dropping back and seeing a big, what is he, six foot five or whatever it is, this big monster of a man standing right in the passing window when you're trying to hammer a slant on a hot because they're bringing a backside blitz. Like, Mm -hmm. what in the world are you going to do? Um so, uh, yeah, I think Preston's played great, man. I, I'm excited to have him on the team moving forward for sure. Uh, let's do this. Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed has – this is according to PFF Green Bay Packers, okay, at PFF underscore Packers. They said Jaden Reed has the most targets in the NFL since week 10 without dropping a pass. So he's been targeted – since week 10, he's been targeted 48 times, the most in the NFL, without dropping a pass. Not only is he, you know, dynamic with the ball in his hands, you know, he can he can run the ball for you. He's got an inapt ability to create just enough separation. The thing I notice is as soon as he catches the ball, he's already looking for work. He's looking for space upfield as soon as he catches the ball. And to see that him being able to do that and keep those sure hands, along with Tucker Craft and the fact he still hasn't dropped a pass this year, you're just seeing a higher level of efficiency. Another thing that I think comes into play since week 10 is Jordan Love's accuracy has improved, and that helps with those drops as well. Sometimes the ball is six to eight inches off, 
the mark, and that can lead to a drop. It'll be counted as a drop because it was catchable, but we would all agree, you know, the Bill Walsh school of thought, the ball's got to be perfect. you got to be able to choose which number to put it on. But Jaden Reed just having a phenomenal year. Really cool seeing him kind of step up as that potential number one wide receiver. Him and Dontavian Wicks, to me, are when healthy, are 1A and 1B in this roster. Now, I'm excited for Christian Watson to come back from injury and try to take that 1A back, right? And that's where you're going to get competition within the wide receiver room. It could be absolutely huge. I'll tell you someone else who's been on fire, Tim, Aaron Jones. Finally healthy. Since returning in week 15, you know, came back. And you guys remember before week 15, I'm pretty sure it was week 15, we said he is completely removed from the injury list. And I think Paul Brettel actually mentioned that. And it's like, okay, so he has no injury now, none whatsoever, no pain, no limitation at all. Since then, 301 rushing yards at second in the NFL since week 15, 11 missed tackles forced, 5.6 yards per carry. So we finally got our running game going. We've seen it the last two years, too. PFF has graded our run blocking across our offensive line absolutely horrible the last several years. But all the running backs are graded so high, and people would ask me last year, how are the running backs graded so high but the, the offensive line's run blocking so low? How are we averaging over five yards a carry with Aaron, and yet the run blocking is getting graded so low? It's because he's doing it himself. That's just the facts. That dude is 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 hitting holes that aren't there. He's making guys miss. He's It's just a quick, sudden twitch that he has when he's healthy. Aaron Jones is the leader of this offense, man. I could We couldn't ask for a better guy to be the leader of this offense. Uh, what do you think about, uh, like we said, with Jaden Reed, then also uh, Aaron Jones here, especially Aaron Jones, man. This is what you need in cold weather football, right? Absolutely, and especially when you're trying to make a playoff push. Yeah. And especially with, um, you know, A.J. Dillon kind of banged up right now. Um, you guys talked last night a little bit about uh, maybe Emmanuel Wilson coming back into the fold, which would be great, but – Aaron Jones is your dude, man. You, th- you've got to get things going through him. That's why we found success. I, I truly believe that we found success against Minnesota because of feeding him the ball and allowing him to create. And you're right. Sometimes you just got to get, you know, we, we know we've got guys that don't always finish their blocks, but if you can just make enough contact, Jones will slip in there and get out real quick. And all of a sudden he's up the seam and it's 30 yards. And He's extremely entertaining to watch as a running back. And you're right. When he's healthy, he's the best in the business, man. I, I don't know if I'd want anyone else carrying the ball for my team. So, um, man, Showtime 33, back in business. I love it. Yeah, for sure. Ron in the chat said, when looking at PFF, the offensive line graded poorly at the Vikings blitz 76% of the time and only had only had – any pressure 33% of the time, no sacks. What you're seeing is the ball getting out. The ball's getting out on time. We showed on Chalk Talk the why hot, right, showing Tucker Kraft getting hot, looking back. The receivers and the quarterback were on the same page. The offensive line, you can be blitzed 76% of the time and the blitz not hit home and the offensive line still play bad. You've seen Jordan Love. How many times did we show on Chalk Talk, Ron, if you got a chance to see it? Him fading away, throwing the ball, right? He's creating those passing windows himself. The offensive line did not play great, in my opinion, against the Vikings. If you just look at the stat column, and I'm not suggesting you are, but if someone just looks at the box score and they go, huh, they blitzed 76% of the time, but they they only got you know pressure 33% of the time, how is off? That means the offensive line played good. Not the case. Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? Go watch Mike Vick back in the day. That cat, <laughs> horrible offensive line. Yep. And he was leading, you know, leading the league and rushing for quarterbacks year after year after year. It was actually the fact that the offensive line played so bad, which led to his rushing ability and him throwing on the run. 
because it would create create those secondary windows being forced out of the pocket. People learn shortly after that. And of course, his own demise, you know his story. We don't have to tell it again. But if you just keep him in the pocket, he's not a good quarterback. That's what they learned. I won't say he's not good. He's he's nowhere near the quarterback that he is the scrambler, I should say. But Mike Vick was later in in his career when he when he served his time and 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 got out of the clink and all that good stuff. He goes to Philly and becomes a pocket passer and said, man, I wish I'd been studying film and reading defenses when I was younger. I remember him talk, telling the old story about how Dan Reeves would give them a copy of the game plan, the playbook on DVD every week, right? And he said, I would take it and just throw it in the back of my car and never even never even open it up, look at it or anything. So um, later on in his career, if he had done that early, what he did later in his career, probably would be a Hall of Famer, that and, and uh, not doing the horrible things that he did, obviously. So uh, – yeah, let's see. Uh, Drew D in the chat said Jones can run full speed while off balance, and that helps him hit the holes. Man, his his quick twitch, that run where we showed the aerial cam was just absolutely, absolutely awesome, man. Mm-hmm. Um, Randy Cleavers in the chat says a healthy Jones makes Matt's offense work. It does, and kudos to Love while while uh, Aaron Jones was uh, banged up. Love kind of holding it together, right, patching it together. No doubt about that. Um, yeah, we need to play that. You're right. I didn't even realize I said it, Nick. Mm-hmm. Nick McSwain, he said the clink. In the, the clink. clink. Where is this at? Let's see where a prison mock is. Right, hey, 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 that's just the way we talk in the clink. <laughs> there, oh my it God. there it is. <laughs> you love to hear it. All right, another cool statistic here or screen grab we've got. Let's see here. We've got – let's move on to Jordan Love since we were talking about him. Green Bay Packers tweeted this out. Packers quarterback Jordan Love has been named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week for his performance against the Vikings. He had a rating of 125.3, 256 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, one rushing touchdown, and zero interceptions. So Jordan Love gets his very first Offensive Player of the Week award. You can't take that lightly, man. You can't. And here's what's crazy. All week long, it was Jaron Hall is going to embarrass Joe Barry in his defense. We're going to make Jaron Hall look like a Hall of Famer. Everybody was having their fun. Packer fans having their fun with that, running their victory laps. Oh, Joe Barry sucks. Fire Joe Barry, all that. And it's amazing how all year long, those same fans, some of those same fans were screaming, we should have we should have hired Brian Flores. We should have hired Beef. This Vikings defense, he turned it around in one year. And then Jordan Love goes out there and carves them up, absolutely carves them up on primetime in their stadium where it's one of the loudest stadiums in the league and everybody's hush on it. You know what I'm saying? Like, could it be that – I sound like ancient aliens. Could it be? uh, (laughs) Could it be that maybe we overreact to the negative aspect of Packers defense? We want to point out – you know, it's funny. We've scored – we go out there and score, you know, however many points we scored, 33 points, right? The absolute sky was falling when we gave up 30 points there a couple weeks ago, right? Whatever it was. Nobody's mentioning that about the Minnesota defense because B-Flow is just the second coming of the greatest defensive coach in the history of the game. Now you're immediately hearing the narrative shift to, well, he's look at what he's working with. I agree. He's not working with much, right? Are you Are you suggesting we are? Because – we haven't seen those eight first-rounders on the field together all year long, right? So I'm not saying you keep Joe Barry. I'm just simply saying 
you can't have it both ways. You know, everybody was all over Dallas. You remember that, Tim, several weeks ago, all over Dallas. Al Harris, you were you were like this when they were talking about hiring Al Harris. It's like this dude has never been a passing game coordinator, and we just think he's going to be an awesome DC. Let's bring him in for two, three, four years and set the set the franchise back. I would. There's nothing I would love more than have a top five defense in every statistical category, especially points per game, and have Al Harris, a former Packer, be the DC. But to think that he's ready to step into that role immediately. They're not talking about that now. You know why? Because Dallas's defense has been getting carved up. And go look at some of the running performances they've given up. It's like it happens all across the league. So some people are listening to that, and they're going, well, what's the answer then, Clayton? What what kind of defense should we want then? This defense did well for four weeks. That defense did well for three weeks. What should we be looking for? Tell you what I focus on, and I get absolutely crucified for it, points per game. Bend, but don't break. You don't have to be flashy. Every interception we've gotten this year, I am almost 99% positive. Every interception we've gotten this year, which are very few compared to last year, we've gotten playing zone coverage. Now, why are the interceptions down? Because we're playing more man, in my opinion. Um, And and it's a more streaky version of man. Situational football matters. But Jordan Love went out there and absolutely carved up that B-flow defense. And uh, I can't stop grinning about it because I'm just looking for I'm that that uh, that gift that I always post right on Twitter. That woman's doing this. I'm out there looking for all those B flow fans after he got absolutely yeah. lit up. And immediately another argument they make is, well, he don't have a quarterback on the other side protecting the ball. Okay, gotcha. Just like in Pittsburgh, everybody screamed for the OC to be fired. They fired him. Their points per they game worse. It went down two points, and immediately, you know what they said? It's, well, look at the quarterback they're playing with. Okay, got it. I pointed out that the Jets' defense, everybody's in love with the Jets' defense and Robert Sala. 64 points he's given up to division rival Miami this year. Well, that's a cherry pick stat. Very next week that I put that tweet out, he gives up 34 to the Cleveland Browns and Joe Flacco, who just came off the couch. Probably can't touch his toes like me. That stuff Did you see that, that one where he was dozing off on the bench? Yes. Hey, I related to that, man. I'm telling you right Ooh. now. I was like, that would be me. Like, hey, y'all wake me up and we're going back on the field and give me a nap in here. <laughs> I'll just say, like, it, it happens all across the league. You got to be careful what you wish for. Ask Pittsburgh. You just might get it. And uh, now they're winning with Mason Rudolph, so they're kind of turning it around, right? Um, mm-hmm. But it took, it took a few weeks. So um, I just love the NFL. I think, I think the – the difference between the worst team and the best team are this close. Someone asked me on Twitter earlier, everybody's saying this defense has gotten a lot better in, in Chicago. Do you think they have? And my response was somewhere – it was a long response, and I just topped it as it came to mind. But it was something along the lines of anybody who who pretends like this Chicago Bears team hasn't improved, you're just you're, – you're trying to – you're trying to be a hater. You're trying to troll. Anybody who pretends like Justin Fields hasn't improved, you're kidding yourself. I mean, when you turn on the tape, you can see, is he a, is he a good passer? No. No one's ever said he was. But doing what he does, has his passing gotten better? I personally think it has. Now, is it the, is it the pieces around him? It could be. I'm not making excuses for Justin Fields. I'm simply saying, when you look at the tape, and I watched quite a bit of Bears tape this week, when you look at the tape from the last four to five games, Pretty big improvement from Justin Fields. Now, when you look at his PFF, you cross-check it. Okay, PFF. He has gotten better every single year. He's five points higher overall as an offensive grade from last year. So 
if you see it, you got to say it. He's getting better. He's improving. And I said, as far as their defense, you see the same thing. The team has improved. They have. There's no doubt about it. And at so, the same time, the Bears still suck. Oh, absolutely. We're, we're, we're going to trumpet that till the end of time. But <laughs> it's just it, – my point is the worst team isn't as bad as we want to make them out to be, and the best team isn't as good as we want to make them out to be. I mean, we've seen it. Going into a certain week this this year, I can't remember which week it was, we thought the Eagles were like, ooh, best team in yeah. the NFC. And they get their teeth kicked in by the 49ers, right? And then several weeks later, what happens? Brock Purdy throws four interceptions in one game. <laughs> it's like you, you, you know, the parity in the league is just it's so uh it's so strong. I love it, man. So another cool statistic here from NFL on CBS, most starts with three plus passing touchdowns and zero interceptions over their first 17 career starts. I think the better way to word that might have been most games with three-plus passing touchdowns and zero interceptions over their first 17 career starts. There's only four people to throw five or for five different times have three-plus passing touchdown games with zero picks. Jordan Love, Patrick Mahomes, Dan Marino, Brock Purdy. Now, to, to the best of my knowledge – that's in the history of the game, Tim. So what happens this Sunday if somehow, some way, Jordan Love throws three touchdown passes and zero interceptions? That means he stands I – mean, am I looking at that right? Is everybody else seeing it the same way? That would mean he is standing alone as the only quarterback in NFL history within his first 17 career start, starts to have six games where he throws three or more passing touchdowns with zero interceptions. Is that how you're seeing that too? Yep. Yep. Hey, U.S. Cellular customers, I've got good news, so don't hit skip forward just yet. I'm talking about their special customer event, Us Days. What's Us Days? It means exclusive offers just for their customers, just to say thanks, like up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. No, I didn't just misread that. That's up to $1,200 off. They must really like you. Us Days at U.S. Cellular, exclusive offers just for you, just to say thanks. Right now, U.S. Cellular customers get up to $1,200 to upgrade to any new phone. Terms apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 
and list it's stats. Stats don't matter. Only th- the only stat that matters to me is the win. That's it. Get me done. I don't care if you do it three to nothing every single week. If you're hoisting at Lombardi at the end of the year, that's all that matters to me. But when you see a young quarterback, a young player, put themselves into these categories like like uh, Jaden Reed breaking the uh, the rookie record, right? You're going okay. They're doing something that hasn't been done before. You really got to kind of make a note of that. Like we might have something special here. That's that's rare error right there. I know people like to dog on Brock Purdy, but Brock Purdy has been damn good. I mean, yep. damn good. Patrick Mahomes, first ballot Hall of Famer. Dan Marino, first ballot Hall of Famer. Right. It's uh, it's rare air. So, and, and it, what it also says is that that big goose on the back side of that stat there, that's huge. Yep. Turnover differential. What's going to win you the ball game? So that's pretty right. Cool. Pretty cool. So uh, Nick points out he's already at 17 games started. So since he started that game last year, he wouldn't technically be able to make that sixth. Yeah, that that's sucks. True. It might be one of those you throw an asterisk next to, right? And be like, well, technically he – but, yeah, I see what you're saying, Nick. That's wild, though, that he's just right there. Thank you for pointing that out, buddy. Appreciate it. Um, man, it's just uh, – it's rare air. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. He keeps uh, continuing to, to – I don't, I don't even think he has to improve the accuracy now. If you could stabilize the accuracy, the problem with, problem with that mindset is you're either getting worse or you're getting better. There's no staying the same, right? So we want to see him kind of – really hone in that accuracy even more. But, yeah, still awesome. Yeah, I agree, Nick. Still impressive for sure. Thank you for pointing that out, man. That's that's important. It is. So it's not possible for him to become the sixth. I was looking at that. I was reading it. I was like, hold up. So this week, if he does this, so they've already the played. Question, the, the real question is, who's got the better perm? Is it Mahomes or is it Marino? I mean. Well, it's it's got to be Marino, bro. Got Marino. that Miami waterfall going on there. Marino back in the day, man, he was, uh, he was the, he's quite the ladies, man. I heard stories. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to anyway. I lived in Knoxville for a little bit and he was in town for a, a, uh, charity golf tournament, golf match, something. And I met someone who was responsible for driving him around the golf course in, you know, in the golf cart in between holes or whatever, and taking him back to, his limo or whatever to get him back to his hotel. And he said, let me tell you something, buddy. That man drank enough alcohol that day to kill a horse. Uh, he was, <laughs> it was like, and I was like, was he, was he an a-ho? He's like, no, he was absolutely awesome all day long. So sound like, sound like Dan's a good dude for sure. <laughs> I'll never, I love forget. the happy drinkers. I love the happy drinkers. Oh yeah, dude. Uh, yeah. I, I cannot stand to be around the loud mouth ones, man. Yeah. If you're if you're drinking to be an a hole, get away from me. Yeah, uh, there's people that have perfected that for sure. Uh, Ike Packers on Twitter tweeted this out: said Jordan Love ice cold in the fourth. His stats in December, okay, in December, five games, sixty eight point six percent completion percentage. That's a far cry from the fifty eight percent we were seeing earlier, right, Tim? Yep. Uh, one thousand two hundred and forty four passing yards, eleven passing touchdowns, one interception with two rushing touchdowns, just, just a phenomenal December stat record there for sure. And then you've got this one here too against the blitz. I think it's really important. Uh, Dara Carriger tweeted out Jordan love is being blitz more than any quarterback in football. And now he's making defenses pay. He's thrown 10 touchdowns to only one interception against the blitz this year, but most impressive of all, he's only taken nine sacks. Goes right back to what we started the conversation with. Offensive line didn't play great against Minnesota. 
He's creating the throwing angle, the arm angles, the throwing lanes. He's avoiding the pass rush and making sure he doesn't take big time sacks. Early in this early in the year, Tim, we couldn't say that, man. He was taking yeah. sack after sack after sack. So that's true. A lot of those came, a lot of those nine sacks were early in the season. Um, yeah. and I think Jordan's just he's seeing it better and his confidence is at an all-time high. And the and the best thing about you know a player like Jordan Love is you can tell as his confidence builds, it's not going to turn into arrogance. This this kid's not going to get too full of himself or get, you know, turn confidence into cockiness, you know. And um, it's just so cool to see him grow week by week. And um, I'm looking forward to Sunday, man. I think we're going to get an epic game. Yeah, I do too, man. <clears throat> Carly Ray in the chat said, isn't passing game coordinator an offensive position? Uh, why would that possibly make a good DC? Now, what what passing game coordinator is, and I'm glad you asked the question, Carly. Anytime somebody has a question like this, there is no stupid question. And if someone tries to make it seem like a stupid question in the chat, we will roadhouse them out of here so damn quick, okay? So passing game coordinator is a position on the coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball. Essentially, it's the guy who is uh, coordinating your effort to stop the other team's passing game. And typically, it's it's not set in stone. You've seen people bypass or yeah bypass passing game coordinator to take a DC uh, spot. It just depends on how well they interview and if someone likes them as their DC better than a passing game coordinator. But most of the time, most of the time, within a defensive coaching rank, it goes sometimes like for instance, Mike Pettin in Minnesota is kind of the outlier. He is the assistant head coach. That's the highest ranking defensive. Uh, coach on Minnesota's entire coaching roster. Okay. Then you've got the DC. Okay. Who is underneath the assistant head coach. The assistant head coach doesn't necessarily have to be a defensive coach, but you got the DC underneath the DC. Typically you have the passing game coordinator. Okay. Now on the offensive side of the ball, you have the OC and you have the passing game coordinator on the offensive side of the ball too. So, it's basically their position is to stop the passing game on the defensive side of the ball. That's why I'm big on Chris Hewitt in Baltimore, former player, played a couple years in the league. I think the players can relate to him in that regard. And he's the passing game coordinator in Baltimore with that great defense. That's kind of – I haven't done a deep dive on all the candidates yet, but that's the one that comes to mind for me. When I see people say Jim Leonard, I cringe. Understand, though, I'm not from Minnesota. I don't have that that – you know, that attraction to the, to the, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not from Wisconsin. I don't have that attraction to former Wisconsin players, coaches, whatever, right? I'm looking at it strictly from who do I think is more qualified. When I hear Jim Leonard should be the next DC and I'm looking over at Chris Hewitt going, this dude has done it at the NFL level, people. And it's, well, can he make the transition from college? Yeah, is it possible? Absolutely. People have done it in the past. Nick Saban, though, Nick Saban is the greatest college coach in the history of NCAA football, and he got his rear end handed to him at Miami as a head coach, right? Steve Spurrier, right, yep. dominated in Florida, comes to Washington, gets his butt handed to him when he was the coach up there in Washington. It's it's not a slam dunk. It converts. Do I would rather have someone who's Scott. used to being in the box on a Sunday. What's that? Do we got the Michael Scott quote queued up? No, God, please, no. I'm no, he, he could be great, you know, but the people that hey, just I said this when we first started talking about this months ago that I don't want to. You're right. It's got to be someone who's who's done it at the NFL level. Do you really yeah. want to start? You're, you're going to start over and you're going to roll the dice and bring someone from uh, from the collegiate level in here and hope that it works out. 
and yeah. hope, hope, you know, you already talk about what we've got going on now and, oh, the guys aren't buying in and this, that, and the third. It's like, oh, yeah, they're going to they're gonna buy into to some new new guy who's new to the league. You know, this uh, this league, you know, you know how this is with coaching and coaching staffs, man. It's reputation and there's networking and, you know, working your way up, earning that respect. I, I don't I mean, you're right. It could work out something like this. But if you think it's going to work out in like a year or two, you're right. you're probably being a little too optimistic, you know? Yeah, definitely. And Nick McSwain makes a good point, too. Um, he says, uh, I hope the new D.C. isn't a dinosaur. LOL. That's a um, great point, too. Yeah. Yeah. You got to You got to have someone who can connect. Uh, Margin Cron says Nick Saban never played in the NFL. I kind of looking around. I don't think anyone ever said he played in the NFL. Did you say, I didn't say it. Did you, Tim, did you say it? No. no. All right. Yeah. So as far as a dinosaur though, yeah. Um, you, you got to have someone who can connect with this younger, younger generation of players. There's no doubt about that. Um, there's going to be a ton of, a ton of candidates, obviously. I'm just saying, I'm trying not to grin, but if they go out there and they hold the bears to three or 10 points and you go on a run in the playoffs and the defense looks dominant, and Matt LaFleur tells the world Joe Barry's our guy in 2024. <laughs> it it was crazy is I know if, if he is on pace and tracking to be like one of the top five DCs at that point, and we have it moving forward, most people will still be against it. Oh, They'll yeah. Still be against it because they don't want to be proven wrong. And that's the um, difference between, you know, a professional coach and a fan. When you're a professional, you leave the emotion and all that crap out of it. Right. And you're a professional and you use, you know, objectivity and you look at results and, you know, what your plan is and you make a logical decision. You know, there are people, I mean, Joe Barry could cure cancer tomorrow and they'd still want the guy fired. It's, right. You know, they're just convinced. Yeah. And the, the issue I've had with it all year and why I couldn't just be like on board with the whole mob of fire Joe Barry, Joe Barry's the worst thing about this organization. The problem I have is I'm watching the tape. I'm going, yeah, why these guys aren't tackling, why they're just abandoning their responsibilities and zone and their run fit. I don't know. That's on the coaches too. But to think that someone else comes in and magically fixes that without flipping this defensive roster, Maybe it's yeah. the way we're drafting. I'm looking for answers. And the answer on the tape isn't Joe Barry's bad. The answer on the tape is these players are not performing the way they're supposed to perform. That, by default, falls on the coaches, and that's why I came to the end result. Pretty much with everyone else, just got there in a different way, saying, all right, yeah, we, we probably need to shake this thing up and try something fresh. Um, number one Packer fan says, when you were on your third defensive coordinator, you have to get that right. You need someone with experience and wisdom, not a transitioning coach. Um, yeah, I think it's important, too. Drew D says, yes, please no Zimmer. <laughs> I don't want to add an old character-riddled coach to a defense that needs to get the culture shored up. Zimmer's one of those guys. He was a good D.C. in Cincy. Um, obviously, was a horrible head coach in Minnesota, but you know he he seems to connect with the players. Drew, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate. I agree with you, by the way. I don't want I don't want Zimmer as DC either. But trying to play devil's advocate, if you go back and listen to the players who's played for him on the defensive side of the ball, they loved him, right? Now, who did he not get along with? It sounded like he didn't get along with Kirk Cousins, right? He's an absolute a hole too. 
not cousins, but Zimmer's cousins maybe too. I don't, I've never met the guy, but Zimmer is pretty, he embraces that role, right? That he's in an a-hole at DC. Um, but you know, if you look at his players and how they respond to him, they love him. I'm just not a fan. Uh, I think the game eventually it passes you by, you know, yeah. for me, I would want a combination of something along the lines of red zone, def- good red zone defense numbers, along with points per game, because that says you know how to manage the scoring aspect of the game. Then maybe throw in, you know, what's crazy is everything I'm describing is how our defense is set up right now. Next, I would say, okay, control the explosive plays, which would be control the passing game, okay, which would mean you're saying we're willing to give up the run over the pass, right? Um People are right now going, no, no, we want to stop the run. If you if you commit to stopping the run and you have to sacrifice something, that means there's going to be explosive passing plays. So everything that Matt has done up to this point, and it's the reason he stands up at the presser and goes, you know, you turn on the tape, we're not seeing that's not the problem. The problem doesn't need to be a D.C. change or a philosophy change. The, change, the problem is the players need to play better. That's what I'm seeing too. Uh, I wish there was an easier answer, but – Again, we're coming off a good game. We're just kind of rehashing, recapping what's happened this year. Missed tackles, bad run fits, blown assignments, selfish play from some of your most expensive players. That's the things that kind of popped up to me on the defense side of the ball. That all suggests you need a culture change, right? Yeah, and we can't involve our position coaches either. You know, that may be more telling of, you know, our ability to hire the guys that are really in the trenches working, working with these players. Um, we always talk about that, right? Should you have to teach technique at the, you know, tackling technique at the NFL level? Well, yeah. 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 Especially in this league where they're trying to redefine how to tackle every day too. You know, you, you've got to, you've got to finish plays and um, you're right. The players have got to execute out there and that does fall on coaching. However, that's not overall scheme and defensive coordinating. That's, yeah. you know, who, who's working with these guys. Um, and you can see the staffs out there that that uh, are the teams out there that do finish plays and are are tackling. And you can see, you know, let's like you said, Clayton, let's look at where the success is. And, uh, you know, some of these position coaches, I think, are where we need to look, honestly. Yeah. And and that's the thing, too. These position coaches are attached, I think, more to Matt LaFleur than Joe Barry. To the best of my knowledge, Joe, May- Joe Barry didn't make a single hire. I'm sure he made recommendations, but I don't think he made a single hire. I could have this wrong of any of the, de- the defensive position coaches. This is something that Matt's put together completely. And and some people would suggest it's because Matt doesn't want to have another alpha, not that Matt is an alpha, but he don't want to have an alpha in the defensive room kind of questioning or putting pressure on him as the head coach. To me, that's what it felt like when he ran Petten out of town. Was like, okay, this guy's been a head coach. He's got more head coaching experience than me at the, at the moment. Um, he's well respected in the locker room. You heard uh, uh, Aaron Rodgers absolutely loved Coach Petten. Um, some of the leaders on the team loved Coach Petten, and he goes to Minnesota and takes several people with him. Right, Zadarius Smith. I think uh, Dean Lowry ended up joining them eventually. He's still up there right now. Uh, you know, it's, they didn't get rid of him when they hired B Flow in as DC. They promoted him to assistant coach, so which I thought was a pretty good move. Um, but uh, Randy in the chat says we needed to get we need to get a DC a good DC so we don't waste this time we have with our offense. I agree, Randy. But boy, this sounds like Aaron Rodgers all over again, doesn't it? Remember that was the talk forever. Tim was they're wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime years with this bad defense, and here we are talking about it again. 
We've now been through three D seats and, you know, possibly getting ready to go through higher of fourth. What's the one thing that hasn't changed throughout that whole tenure? It's how we draft. Yep. I'm just saying, I agree, Randy. You get a top 10 defense with the way this offense is playing, the sky's the limit. It's just what if the way you're drafting on defense is the reason you can't consistently break into that top 10 defense, you know? We were sitting sixth. I think we peaked at sixth this year in points per game on defense. I was over the moon about it. I think we were somewhere in the top 10 in points per play, over the moon about it, especially with the turnovers we had early in the season with the offense turning the ball over on our side of the 50. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's tough, man. It's it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. He's got to hit a home run on his hire, though, when he when he does replace Joe Barry. And, and I think they – well, I don't know if you've seen the conspiracy, the latest conspiracy, Tim. It, it seems to be true. But uh, Joe Barry got a game ball. And, you know, they usually show them giving out game balls in the locker room. They edited that out of the video. It's like they showed LaFleur giving the game balls, and then at the end of it you see Joe Barry holding the game ball, but they didn't show them giving him the game ball. What? That's strange. Is that not strange? That really – really strange. Yeah. Normally I'm like, oh, shut up, guys. It's no big deal. They just forgot. I'm looking at that one going – Mm. Well, that devil's mind. advocate here. Maybe it's um, it was just a you know timing thing. Maybe you maybe know, they like, had to change the tape. <laughs> yeah, or they were just you know when they're editing that that post game stuff together that you know mm-hmm. the media team's trying to focus on the players, you know players who got the game ball, and yeah, they probably figured oh well, we only got ten seconds. We we got to get rid of this, and they're like ah cut cut Joe out of there. You yeah, know, you go out. It's just it, it is what it is. It's it's happened. You know, um, I wouldn't read too much into it, but it is kind of definitely one for uh, the conspiracy corner for sure. Yeah, definitely. John in the set, chat said, do you think Alexander will be on a short leash? Um, all I can speak to is what I've seen, like with with the film breakdown, John, when Jire's on the field, Jire does what Jire wants to do. That's just the fact of the matter. He can have a deep third responsibility. If somebody sits down underneath, he doesn't care if there's already someone in his hip pocket. If he wants to bite down, he's going to bite down. If he wants to just randomly in a zone coverage decide or in a man coverage decide, even though this guy is is obviously in man coverage right here beside him, you know, on the opposite side of the – I say right beside him, like maybe covering the two on the opposite side of the field, and then his guy goes in motion rather than Jair and man coverage follow him, he just goes – you guys take him. I'm going to stay right here. I don't want to travel. Like, if he does that stuff, I think that was a part of Matt's comment of it was other things leading up to this, too. I think it was stuff in the locker room. And I also think it was him thinking he was bigger than the defense and doing whatever the heck he wanted to do on the field. I think that plays in a little bit, too. That may have been what he was talking about with, uh, you know, improving communication. Yep. And, you know, it's not just communicating to, you know, the higher-ups you know, or the, the coaching staff, it's maybe it's about that communication on the field and knowing, knowing how to communicate and what you're communicating. You can't, you can't communicate a different, you know, passing off a responsibility. If we're in man to man, you got to yeah. know we're in man to man, that's your guy, you know? So um, hopefully that improves. I don't think they're going to have him on a short leash. I really don't. I think he's either going to play or he's not, you know, you got to put him out there and, you know, hope he balls out, man. Honestly, you know, like I said, I, the antics got old 
Um, I think I think Ja has um, this is probably a maturity moment for him um, as he's coming into his own as a vet in this league, and um, a little slice of humble pie uh, never hurts, and that's that's for all of us. Every single one of us can eat a slice of humble pie once in a while in our life. And, uh, you know, sometimes it needs to happen. Unfortunately, this guy's a professional athlete and it's everybody's business when, uh, when he eats a slice of humble pie. So, um, you know, you could tell that was a tough, tough interview for him to do, uh, yesterday. Um, and, uh, I like it. I kind of like that. I I had alluded to that before is like, I wonder if we'll get this, like, you know, (laughs) like, Denzel Washington training day. I'm all business. I'm all serious now kind of dude, as opposed to, you know, the wrestling belts and the the shades and the big hats and, and the, you know, the circus. And uh, it sure looks like that right now. So all we're missing now is a shutdown performance here on Sunday to cap it all off. And I, I think we'll all be confident to say that Jaws back and uh, you know, the sky's the limit. So again, I'm going to try and be positive and, really hope that he comes out on the other side of this uh, better off, better player, better man, you know? Yeah. And uh, my initial reaction to his presser there yesterday, first time talking to the media since coming back from suspension, I respect him. He earned a lot of my respect yesterday. He seemed like he was genuine and realized, okay, <laughs> I, I'm at fault here. Maybe not completely at fault. And I love that Matt said that he wasn't, you know, the job wasn't completely at fault it was kind of the sentiment I got from Matt. It's like, we're all adults here. Look, there was a mistake made. Everyone's guilty to a certain extent. Let's learn from it and move forward. My respect went up for Jai Alexander. I want to see him go out there on Sunday, get get a couple picks, a couple big tackles set in the edge there, and go, all right, Jai's back. He's back on board. Um, that would be huge for this defense, absolutely huge, because when you're paying a corner that kind of money, you guys know where I stand. I don't think corner is that important. I think I think corner is important. But it's not as important as edge. It's not as important as a three-tech. It's not as important as inside linebacker. And it's not as important as a free safety. We're weak at pretty much all three of those spots right now. According to PFF, we're weak at all three of those spots on defense. And we just paid, made a guy the highest-paid corner in the league, and now we're having personal issues with him. It's a bad look, in my opinion. But uh, if he comes out there and balls out and and grades out in the upper 80s and into the 90s like he did there, you know – fairly consistently a few years ago, then it's going to be worth the money. And, uh, and I, I love his fun, loving attitude. I just don't like, the, I don't like the selfish gyre, you know? Yeah. You, uh, you brought up free safety. It's kind of interesting. Like, do you ever see Ja getting, getting moved there? That's something that gets talked about a lot. I think a little too freely in the NFL because we've seen the greats do it. You know, you've seen Charles Woodson do it and, and, and a lot of people play mad and they go, huh, I move this corner to free safety. His overall grade goes up. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's kind of part it's of the video too. game. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about safety, it is different, right? You know, many people don't understand that when you're playing corner, you're the reason that some corners line up on one side of the field or the other is because of their dominant eye. And that's why it's so special to have someone who does travel because when you do turn sideways, you want your dominant eye in the right spot. Right. And if someone is so good physically, that their dominant eye doesn't even matter, um, that makes him a special player. I, to me, Ja hasn't proven that. That doesn't mean he's a bad corner. It just means he's not on Darrell Revis's level, right? He's not on Deion Sanders' level. 
Um, yeah, and that's the thing, too. We have really kind of diluted down the cornerback position. We now think that, you know, Sauce Gardner is the greatest thing since last bread. I think Sauce Gardner is one of the best corners in the game. But I challenge you guys, go to YouTube, watch Deion Sanders highlights. <laughs> watch watch some of those. Watch Darrell Rivas highlights. You'll go, oh, that's a whole different animal there. Watch Champ Bailey highlights. Yes, dude, Champ was amazing to watch. Amazing to watch. Um yeah, Charles Woodson's another one. Go watch Charles. Go watch Charles Woodson's highlights and show me where, you know, in his defensive player of the year, uh, you know, uh, run there. Show me where a a cornerback in the league right now is doing those type of things. They're not. And you're going, well, they're not Hall of Famers. Exactly. Why in the world are we throwing the book at players that aren't generational talents? You overpay for great. That's okay. That is roster building 101. Overpay for great. This is Michael Lombardi, uh, Al Davis, all that 101. It's okay to overpay for great. I'm talking about sane Al Davis, not the last three years of Al Davis where he was an absolute wild man. You overpay for great. You do not overpay for good. When you overpay for good, two things happen. You completely screw your salary cap table up, and you create the disease of me. Pat Riley book. Go read that book. The disease of me. It's you're overpaying for good, and now every player on the team that thinks they're good thinks, huh, I deserve to get paid too. And now you're a whole – that's what the Patriots did so well during that run was they kept that salary cap table even killed. They never overpaid for good. They only overpaid for great. And uh, there's really no in-between there. I did get caught up in the chat here. It got away from us, but I think that's a good conversation. I enjoyed having it for sure. Let's rattle a couple of these off. I want to get to Carly's comment from Kyle It was – 10 minutes ago. I apologize, guys. Omer in the chat said they need someone with a proven record, even if it's only in college ball, but he must have a proven record. It's kind of a vague statement, Omer, but I understand what you're saying, and I still love the profile pick too, man, by the way. Um, Carly Ray says, but consistency, guys. Joe Barry hasn't shown that consistency in game planning. I, I, I got to push back a little bit, Carly, because he hasn't shown consistency in game planning. What's been the knock on him all year? The knock on him all year is he refuses to adjust, right? He's been pretty consistent at, hey, here's the game plan. Here's what we're going to do. The players have underperformed. Now, if what you mean by consistency and game plan, I mean consistently successful, completely agree. But I always challenge people when we when we kind of talk like that. Why, though? Why is it happening on the field? It's one thing to say, yep, this is bad. I got, I agree, it's bad. What do we got to do to fix it? Why the, the first thing? The first step in fixing the problem is identifying why is it bad? What is happening? What is going wrong? What happened and why did it happen? And unfortunately, that's not an easy answer to stomach when you look up and go, these players are underperforming. That's a developmental standpoint. That's what Tim's pointing to with the position coaches. Now, make no mistake about it. If you make a change at D.C., you're getting new position coaches. It's going to be a whole slew of them come through, right? And maybe that's just what this team needs. Matter of fact, I believe that's what this team needs. Um, because they're just they're not performing up to par. Chris N said, I've seen more than one article saying Staley is our next DC, not good in all caps. There's a lot of smoke there for sure. There's definitely some ties to LaFleur. Uh, you guys know Brandon Staley was the former head coach in uh in, with the LA Chargers. Listen, he was a horrible head coach, but there's been some horrible head coaches that made great coordinators, right? Josh McDaniels is one. Everybody loves a rag on Josh McDaniels. Every bit of success that Bill uh that uh Bill Belichick has had in the last decade, right there in the offensive helm, 
was Josh McDaniels. He's a great OC. I think he'll probably be back. If Bill comes back, I think he'll be back as OC or at least a part of that staff in New England. But that's just one example. DC's the same way. Staley was a horrible head coach. Maybe he would be a good DC. I, I'm with you, though, Chris. I'm hesitant on that hire, man. I hope there's not too much smoke to that fire. But it, it's sure, or too much fire to that smoke, I should say. But I, I'm pretty sure there is, man. Uh, let's see here. Doug in the chat said, Carly, so right. I would add J, uh, Joe Barry has not had a, quote, crunch time key stop this year. Ooh, boy, I could pull some tape, guys. Has he given up some key crunch time big plays? Absolutely he has, right? When you look at the tape, though, it's it's not, man, that was a horrible call by Joe Barry in that situation. The Carrington-Valentine, we pointed it out over and over and over. Carrington-Valentine, that was miscommunication with Carrington. He was the only of 11 players on the field that did not get the call. You can't say everyone else is right, he's wrong, blame the D.C., right? He didn't look for the hand signal in time. I love that Joe Barry didn't throw him under the bus. He said, look, he's a young player. That's the hardest place on the field to get the call at. He actually went to bat for him, which is why you're seeing these defensive players step up for Joe Barry now when everybody was trying to make it sound like the defensive players were in revolt. Um, but as far as a, a, a key crunch time stop, stop this year, he said, haven't had a game-ending stop without some help from the refs, drop passes, or miss field goals. See, you see all the caveats in there? Like, he had help from the refs. He had drop passes. He had missed field goals. I got to respectfully disagree. That how are you having missed field goals if you're giving up touchdowns? You're not giving up touchdowns. You're bending but not breaking. You're doing your job, right? Uh, and again, you go to the Giants game and go, well, Clayton, what about that 32 yarder that they gave up to put them in field goal range where they went right down the field on you? You give up a 32 yarder because you played too aggressive and press man. Um, more catch man than press man, but you were roughly two to three yards off the corner, and Keyshawn Nixon got his lunch eight in the cover one defense. Now, if you're suggesting Joe Barry shouldn't have called it that aggressive, preach, brother, preach. But what have all the fans been screaming for the last two years? We're too, we're too conservative. We're too conservative. So, um, not that you're saying this, Doug, but we can't have it both ways, right? Um, there's going to be a yeah. positive and a negative to every play call. When you call cover one man, the positive is no one's going to be underneath, open underneath very quickly. Also, when you're playing cover one man, you can funnel it to the inside with the safety help over the top. Chances are they're not going to run two, two routes directionally at each other down the seam. So you only got one that you really need to pick up as the safety. You read your key, you hit it, everybody's good, right? By playing uh, on the outside with that, the negative aspect is you've got to play over-the-top outside technique because you don't have safety help over the top, right? And you're, if you're doing that from a press or a mirror match press man positioning, then you're going to be really vulnerable over the top, therefore giving up the explosive play. That's the negative aspect. But the quarters, you're keeping everything in front of you. What's the negative aspect? You're giving everything up underneath. If they had stayed in quarters instead of going six out of the seven plays on that final drive against the Giants, playing cover one man or playing some kind of man coverage – they probably would have been trying a 55 to 63-yard field goal as opposed to a chip shot because of the 32-yarder you give up playing man coverage with Keyshawn Nixon, an unproven corner. So I know there's a lot there, but I'm just kind of thinking out loud, you know, reliving everything that's happened this year. The idea that that zone coverage is conservative or soft um, is just not true. You know, the idea that that – playing man-to-man defense, being aggressive. I mean, it's not 1990 anymore, guys. 
the game is played differently now. And it's proven in the tape. You know, mm-hmm. you can see, and it's not just the Packers. You, we can go league-wide and watch teams getting lit up in man coverage. You see these big explosive plays. They're usually a DB on a receiver, and the, the safety help is late. Or, yeah. or the safety misread it and isn't there. And it's over the top and it's a tutter. Um, yeah. So I, I just, uh, you know, you did a great job on, on Chalk Talk last night, you know, showing how, you know, we basically – you know, kind of sugared Minnesota a little bit. And there they are trying to run, you know, crossers, you know, a man beater. And we're sitting there in zone. We get a pick, you know, seem pretty, you know, is that, is that not being aggressive? I guess, I guess, you know, aggressive or not. First of all, it's football. Everything about this game is aggressive. Right. Um, right. Even a prevent defense is aggressive. I would just rather have like, you know, I don't know, I guess the smart play. You know what I mean? Because like, yeah, if we were, if we were manned up on that play, we might've got beat by that play. Um, So I don't know. I just narrative is constantly changing, but so is this game. And I think a lot of us as fans were caught in this, you know, we've been watching this game so long, you know, it's not played the same way anymore. And it is cyclical. It's not to say that we won't start to see that. Absolutely. I mean, you think about 20 years ago, you would never see, you know, fourth and goal going for it you know on the two yard line or you're going for a two-point conversion or something you would never see them spread out shotgun you'd see strong (laughs) eye and pound that run right up to a gap you know and it's like will that come back maybe but i don't know i just feel like the game the game ebbs and flows and you've got to be able to do that too you know and if there's any if there's any uh gripes about adjustments with with joe barry maybe it would be in game that if things aren't working and it's like hey we we didn't switch it up enough but i think as of late we've seen that and i almost feel like maybe to a fault barry is kind of listening to these stark raving mad fans that are crying about we need more man to man and it's like well here's joe peppering it in you know how often is it really working for us though yeah and again you you've seen a combination of it in the game against Minnesota, it's just you didn't see much of it on Chalk Talk because the big plays, the important plays on defense came when they were playing zone coverage, you know. And uh, I'll give you an example. The the strip sack by Preston Smith, right, if he doesn't hit home there, they're busting the seam wide open, right? It was a, To me, it looked like a cover two. We tried to break it down as best we could last night. It could have been a cover six. There, sh- there could have been some zone match principle there. We weren't. We wasn't in the median room. What we do know is middle field, wide open, ton of people playing underneath. It looked like cover two zone. The positive to cover two zone is taking the underneath away. The negative is you've got two spots that you can attack. On Carrington's side, he took the bunker away. The bunker was wide open on the bottom of the screen. The seam, however, on the left of the the left of the offense, I should say, the seam, the base wide open. He was Jaron Hall was trying to hit the base, trying to hit the seam on that play. But Preston Smith just won his one on one matchup. Perfect example of pressure pit coverage sack. Coverage forced the sack, but Preston hit home in lightning fast reaction. If he is a half a second later, that's a touchdown for Minnesota. Great play call, right? If Preston doesn't win his one-on-one there, we're going, 
horrible play call. How are we leaving the seam wide open? This Joe Barry defense, what a moron. He doesn't think someone needs to cover the seam. We were playing aggressive in zone defense, and luckily our guy won a one-on-one matchup. That close, that close to being a horrible play call. Instead, we're going, Joe Barry lives to fight another day. <laughs> you know, it's just – and when you talk about the percentages, that's really what it comes down to. Everything about a game plan, offense and defense, is positioned around percentages. It's a numbers game. They're going into this week, and we were going to hit on with the Bears preview their tendencies. We'll hit on it tonight if we do a show. I'm pretty sure we're going to do a show tonight. We'll hit on their tendencies. They're looking at the tendencies. They're looking at the last four-game saturation, the last two two-game saturation of head-to-head matchup between the two teams. So you got six games of tape. Typically, not every coaching staff is the same, but typically that's how they approach it. And they go through and go, okay, what are their tendencies? They're in 11 personnel this amount of time. They're in 21 this amount. They're in 12 this amount. Okay, cool. What's their run-to-pass ratio? Got it. What's their play-action pass? Okay, got it. How, how often do they run out of shotgun? How often are they in shotgun? How, under, how often are they in under center? How often do they run out of shotgun? How often do they run out under, from under center? All those tendencies go into formulating a game plan. Then you go to the tape and go, okay, in this last six-game saturation, when they ran the ball, did they run gap scheme or did they run zone? Okay, they ran mostly zone. Got it. Did they run mostly left? Did they run mostly right? Got it. Did they run strong or did they run weak? Some people are going, same thing. No, it isn't. That's why you're mixing up which side strong is on. You're, th- you're throwing as many wrenches into the tendency game as possible. Then you go, okay, in the passing game. How often do they play action boot? How often do they just drop back? Is it a deep drop? Is it a short drop, right? The Giants game, I was all over the pass rush for rushing too far up the field. Well, guess what? The analytics showed they had a deep drop game. If they, if they had a deep drop game, that explains why we were trying to attack deeper in the pocket. Still, you got to make the adjustment. To me, that adjustment comes from the players. I have a hard time believing Barry and LaFleur in the locker room go, guys, just keep running 10 yards up the field. It'll be fine. You know what I mean? But, you know, old habits die hard. Then you look at with the passing game, once you get all the short drop, deep drop, all that stuff established, you go, what are their top five passing concepts? What's ours this year? Slot cross, top of the list. We've seen it all year long. Slot cross. We've seen snag. We've seen wolf. We've seen Haas. All of these different passing concepts. And they'll go, okay, now let's put this all together on the whiteboard. How do you stop, though? Is there a special defense that stops all five of those passing concepts? The answer is no. Which passing defense, which concept stops, which game plan would stop the majority of them? Well, we got to, if we play cover six, which is quarter, quarter, half, if we play that, that'll shut down three of the five. Okay, cool. So how often are they running the other two concepts and what sets are they running out of? What personnel? What formation? All right, when they're in this formation, you guys communicate to each other. They may be attacking our weak spot here. Let's be able to make an adjustment. That's why you see guys pointing, hey, look, you go underneath. I got deep. I got deep because that'll stop their wolf concept or whatever it may be. These are all the things that go into game planning. Everything is geared around percentages and maximizing your chance to stop what that team is doing this week. When that team comes out and they go, you know what, guys, they're expecting this. Let's change the game plan completely. That's how you end up with yourself on your heels down by 14 going into halftime. Or, in Minnesota's case, Green Bay was ready for it, man. They were ready for what their defense did. What did they do? They attacked the base right off the bat. They they tried like heck. They looked like used car salesmen out there trying to sugar that, that middle field close. And Jordan caught it. Hard count, safety move. Oh, look at you, big boy. Oh, yeah, we're attacking the base right here. Like, 
I love football, man. I absolutely love it. It's got it's got me by the freaking heart. Carly in here. We, we got to wrap up. We're over. Tim's Tim's tired and sick, and he's like, "What are we doing going over on the first day back?" Carly Ray says, uh, "And we see what good offensive scheme looks like." Matt Lafour makes mistakes at times, but overall he game plans well. Barry's plan seems to either succeed spectacularly or fail miserably. Again, Carly, the question is, why does it do that? Because guys are blowing coverages, missing tackles, and missing their run fit. That is why it's happening. Mike Wall, what did he say? You hired a scheme head coach, not a developmental head coach, a scheme-heavy coach, and guess how he's hiring his assistants? Scheme heavy. So you don't, you're you're lacking that developmental aspect. What did Larry McCarron say on that video? Jaden Reed is NFL ready. Why is Jaden Reed excelling? Right? Why did it take Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson a little longer? Because they're not a developmental coaching staff, and Jaden Reed was game ready. Tucker Craft. Tucker Craft seems to be game ready, Tim. I haven't got a chance to talk to you about him, bro. He has zero drops this year. And I'm going to get roasted if he gets a drop this Sunday, and I'm completely prepared for it. I don't care. I don't believe in jinxes. It's got to happen sometime. I just want to point out, yeah. this: he's one of only three tight ends with 30 or more targets who has zero drops this year, dude. So, Tuck wait, Norris, wait. baby. Tuck Norris. Yeah, we How just many had passes does he catch? All of them. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, let's finish it up here with a couple of these on Mark. Chris says, Packers overpaid for good with Kenny Clark, Gary Jenkins, Jair, and Campbell. Um, EFF would suggest you didn't overpay for great with Gary. Does Gary every listen? Every great player has bad stints. Right now he's in a slump. There's no two ways about it. Last game, he's back up to what 73 according to PFF. And you can see the game plan was with Jaron Hall. This is what I'm talking about too, fans. Not you, Chris, but just fans in general. We all. I'm a guilty of it too. We all have a very short memory. What did we say all week long? We can't let. Jaron Hall, a scrambler, do what Tommy DeVito did to us, right? What what did Tommy DeVito do to us? Scrambled up the middle all day long, didn't he? All day long, just scrambled right up the middle. Why, why were we not getting as many sacks off the edge in this game? You've seen a lot of this engage. You've seen it with Carl Brooks, and you also seen it with Rashawn Gary when I showed the, the double wide TE stunt. Gary wasn't trying to get to the quarterback. Gary stunned it over. Engage with the guard, and you immediately see him drive the guard, and he's kind of keeping his eyes on Jaron and making sure that they don't, you don't create that. That is an unselfish play, and that's playing within the scheme. You could tell they were coached on that that week. That's just a, another example. So of that list there, overpaid. Did they overpay for Kenny? It depends on what you put value on. I personally think they did. I think they did, and I got roasted for saying that last year, and that's totally cool. I'm a big boy. I can handle it. He's a great pass rusher. He has not played the run good at all. Rashawn Gary, did they overpay for him? I personally do not believe so. Look around the league, and next year, look at where Gary's salary cap hit will be compared to uh, the other edge defenders across the league. And look at his pressure rate earlier this year. Again, he's slumping right now, but I think some of it is due to the game plan where they're having to adjust to make sure these quarterbacks don't run all over them like, like DeVito did. Jenkins, Elton Jenkins, did they overpay? My stance on that at the time, you can go back and listen to the pod, was I said, everybody said, this is a great contract. And I went, is he playing tackle? Because if you're telling me he's playing left tackle, awesome contract. If you're saying he's a primarily a left guard, that's not a position. That's not a tier one position of importance for me. So 
If he played left tackle, great contract. If he played left guard, you overpaid for him. I wish it was a more cut and dry answer than that, but that's how I see that. Could have put Alexander. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Tim. We could have put Big E at uh, at center for that. One. That that would make the most sense to me. Yeah, it really would. And I understand it creates a hole at left guard, but center is more important than guard in my opinion. Some people may disagree. I look across the league and see the good teams and go, they got a good center, they got a good center, they got a good center. And I think Josh Meyer, the people that were doing the victory laps over Josh Myers having a good pass blocking grade for three weeks, I think they're done with the victory laps now. He graded out. I think his pass blocking grade this I don't even I don't have the numbers in front of me. I don't want to misquote, but it was it was bad again. So I love the what I love what you're saying there, Tim. Just go ahead and sure up the center position and fit everything else in. Yep. Uh, not, you can't do it midseason. Now you'll throw everything into flux. And this offense right now is playing fine, but that's definitely a hole there. But Elton Jenkins, if he's playing center, you didn't overpay, in my opinion. But at guard, I think you did. Jair Alexander, I think you overpaid. At the time, I wasn't over the moon about it. It's like that is a lot of money for a position that's that's not even tier two of importance. Um Devondre Campbell, that's tier two of importance. When you paid him, look at what his grade was, right? Now he's struggling. So now you got to ask yourself, what happened? Why did it happen? To me, it's the injuries. I think it's the injuries. So when he gets healthy, maybe we didn't overpay there. So Chris, Chris N says we overpaid for good with Kenny Clark, Gary Jenkins, Jair, and Campbell. I believe we overpaid for good with Kenny Clark, Jenkins, because of the position he's playing. Jair and question mark on Campbell. So I think Gary and Campbell, I feel okay with the money they gave them based off how they were playing at the time. The other guys was Jenkins coming off that knee injury. Kenny Clark has never been a great run defender. And Jair is just kind of a wild card there at corner, especially when you're trying to play a zone heavy, don't travel with the number one receiver type defense, which I'm a fan of. So um, I wish it was more cut and dry than that. Uh, last comment. Jim said, Jair's shoulder is a concern, hard to tackle with it. Jim, I think you make a great point, man. We've got to – it's just like Devondre, man. We can't continue to roast Devondre um, because he's playing hurt. And that's why he stepped back and was like, I'm tired of getting roasted for that. He was talking about the fans. He was talking about Twitter. He wasn't talking about the coaches. We've confirmed that over and over and over. And he was just like and, – and, and I think Quay Walker is right. I think he's wise. Just get off Twitter because they're not going to stop being knuckleheads. Just get off Twitter and focus on your profession. I hate telling a grown man that, but it seemed to it seemed to work for Quay, at least to the point where he can really focus on, okay, I don't have to listen to that outside noise. I hate that fans want to be that way and go after people's wives on Twitter and their families. just absolutely embarrassing. Um, last one right here. But anyway, Jim, I agree, though, man. I think, I think we do have to take that into consideration. That kind of prevents him from playing. Full speed. Uh, Relax says, I like the Jenkins contract. I think I'm the only person that didn't like it, Relax. And, again, if you're going to play him at left tackle or at center, I love it. At left guard, I don't. Um, but uh, as soon as we move Elton Jenkins to center, you got a big hole at left guard. We all got to acknowledge that. That's for sure. So. We could say the same thing like we just said about Dre also, though. You know, yeah. Big E's been dealing with the, the nagging injuries, too. Right. All right. Omer says, Jair never liked contact to begin with. He looked awful in the last game, avoiding it. Um, I don't know. I got to I gotta respectfully disagree with that, Omer. I think there was a time where he was okay with contact. He's It's never been his M.O., right? But uh, I think there was a time where he was a little more physical. Um, listen, I tore a rotator cuff last year, and uh, it changed every aspect of my life. I couldn't throw a football. It drove me crazy. Still can't. I got my nephew coming up. Let's throw it around. I can't. I got to throw it left-handed, which I've taught myself how to do 
playing baseball over the years, but um, I can't throw right in because my rotator cuff's partially tore. I couldn't imagine going out there with a banged up shoulder, whatever it is, separator, whatever, and trying to hit grown arse men. <laughs> and we're just sitting here going, oh, come on, tackle, he's weak. My, my opinion is if you can't do it to the full potential, either you don't need to be on the roster or you need to get healed up healthy and come back and be your 100% self because that doesn't help the team. But you can't knock someone for trying to play hurt either. It says a lot about how, how they care about the team, specifically speaking about Devondre Campbell in that situation. So uh, there you go. All right. We're going to get out of here, guys. We really appreciate you all hanging out with us. I, I could talk all day long. We're at an hour and 13 minutes. I told Tim we'd go quick, and uh, here we are going way over. I'm sorry, Tim. Um, hey, we're so gonna hit- Happy <laughs> to be here, man. Happy yeah. to be back. It's good to have you back, man. Um, later tonight, if we do a show this evening, we'll hit on the Packers-Bears rivalry. I got a cool video keyed up. We also heard from Justin Fields talking a little smack about Green Bay. I love it. Put it on the bulletin board. I don't think it's as bad as some people made it out to be, but I did tweet it out. I just want to I want to make sure Bears fans go, oh, crap, we're getting kind of cocky. I want them to feel that, so I'm going to put any little bit of fodder out there that I can. Uh, we'll talk about the Bears' offensive personnel their offensive identity and their defensive identity as well. Just talking about middle field open, middle field close, how often they blitz, man zone, all that stuff, Um, how often they bring three rushers, four rushers, five rushers, six rushers. We'll cover all the bases. So um, we did that last week. We had a really good grab on the game plan going into Minnesota. And we, I told you guys, I said that plus one looked good. Plus one looked good to me with Green Bay. And the reason being is the offensive line's pass blocking is one of the strengths of our team. Jordan Love is great against the blitz. You could see that the last few games. And Minnesota was going to try to blitz them all day long. That equals explosive plays. Explosive plays triples your chances of scoring on each drive. Therefore, more points. You've seen it all day long. Just uh, absolutely boat race the, the Vikings. Couldn't happen to a better team. But with that being said, we're out of here, guys. Really appreciate y'all hanging out with us, man. This was a fun conversation. I appreciate everybody's opinion, too. There was some good, good stuff in there for me to think about. I know that uh, moving forward. Um, the D.C. stuff is, is going to get very interesting. I'm excited for when the decision is made so we can either, A, move forward, or in my opinion, I think moving forward with a new D.C. would be the better move. And when we do that, man, we can start deep diving on who are the candidates, who are the candidates. That stuff gets really, really fun. Um, I want the Packers to win this weekend. I want to go to the playoffs. I've been trumpeting that all, all year long. Um you know, you never know what happened if you if you get hot at the right time and, and get into the dance. We've seen that in 2010. But also, the second the season's over, you trigger everything. Black Monday hits, right? The coach is getting fired. You'll see who's available as D.C. All the rumors start with the interviews and this and that. You'll actually see some of that throughout the playoffs, too. Um, so uh, it's going to be interesting, man. This offseason is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about walking through it with you guys. So, Tim, thank you for coming back, buddy. I appreciate your time. We will be back tonight, most likely. Uh, look for the link to go up at least two hours before showtime, which will be 7 Central, 8 Eastern, and we'll kind of break down this Packers-Bears game coming up uh, this Sunday at 325 Central time at Lambeau Field, a frosty Lambeau Field, something like 13% chance of flurries or something I've seen. So maybe we'll get a little bit of snow. Probably not, but maybe the football guys will bless us with that coming down the stretch. But. Thank you, guys. We'll see you tonight. For those of you listening on the pod, thank you for making us a part of your day. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go, Pat, go. Go, Pat, go.